Uh, welcome to our church this morning. We're going to have a full day in the Lord. Please be in prayer for that. I did have lunch with Mike earlier this week, so I'm going to kind of be unclean, stay up here, um, and not go back uh, after the service. I don't believe he's not infected at this point, just an abundance of precaution. And uh, I did not expect to be preaching this morning, so this message may be a little rough around the edges, uh, but God is sovereign and we rejoice in that. Steve Benson reminded me, Pastor Osbaugh always told all of us men, and Ivan French in seminary said the same, that any preacher has to be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. (laughs) So I I had a little bit more than a moment, but not too many moments. (laughs) So turn with me to Luke 11. Luke 11. I have been meditating on this chapter as well as the sections I'm preaching on, so uh, I do have some thoughts here this morning that I think will be beneficial to you. I'm not going to take time to go back over all the wonderful lessons on prayer the Lord gives, except just to review it for you in your mind with the outline. The Lord gives a pattern for prayer in 1 to 4. He gives a parable concerning prayer in verses 5 down to verse 8. He gives a promise concerning prayer in 9 and 10, and then a picture about prayer in 11 to 13. That's where we've been in this chapter. Now, last week, we just read this, but we didn't develop it because my intention was to kick off with the last part of verse 13 to connect that, not just with everything that went before, but with everything that goes after. And if I can just read verse 13, if you then being evil, and our Lord assumes that human beings are not holy angels unfallen, but fallen, depraved, and evil. If you then being evil, that's the assumption of the whole Bible, an assumption that's thrown out today, but still true. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now we dealt a lot with verses 11, 12, and 13, but we did not deal with this phrase, shall give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. We did not deal with that. We just kind of mentioned it. And what is curious, if you go to Matthew chapter 7, and you see the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, if you'll go back there with me, In the Sermon on the Mount, you have the Lord's teaching on the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, verse 9 and following. And then you have other teaching on prayer 
in chapter 7, verse 7. And this is very similar in verse 7, 7 to 11, than what we've looked at in Luke. But there's a difference. It says in verse 11, 7 and 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So when the Lord was teaching the Sermon on the Mount earlier, he used this phrase, good things. But when he's teaching on it to uh, his disciples here in Luke 11, much later, he uses, he doesn't say good things. He says, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Everybody see that? Now, Itinerant preachers vary their phraseology and vary their teaching and vary the order in which they teach things and the things they emphasize. This is all perfectly legitimate and the Lord is doing that. And But it, it, it is an interesting difference and it's uh, it's fascinating difference that is very significant. And I believe uh, what Jesus said in verse 13 actually is the um, clue to what in some manuscripts, a very few manuscripts, caused a textual variant back in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. But there is a fairly early textual variant that mentions the Holy Spirit coming. In Luke, not in Matthew. Now, the original text is really, without question, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not going to get into that. Probably the texts that read Holy Spirit were baptismal texts and used or, or used in some kind of ceremony for ordination or or uh, baptism and not part of, uh, of Luke and but just changed for that ceremony. That's what they speculate. The text really does say thy kingdom come. But I don't believe it would ever come into the text if it wasn't in verse 13 where you have the Holy Spirit to them that ask him that is a legitimate part of Luke's text. But that's not where I'm going this morning. Not where I'm going at all. Um, you and I and every Christian on this planet are not wrestling with flesh and blood. what Paul says in Ephesians, right? We wrestle not with flesh and blood. You say, well, I thought the enemy was false. These, all those humans that are involved in false religion and false philosophy, or I thought the enemy was the government that's taxing me to death and oppressing me to death with edicts from on high. We wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. When will we remember that? When will we remember we wrestle not against flesh and blood? The principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Now those demonic powers and those devilish powers use humans, no question. But our main enemy is not with flesh and blood. It's not with people. And therefore, if we're involved in spiritual ministry, we have to have 
spiritual armament. We have to have spiritual empowerment. We have to have the Holy Spirit working in our life. Not just present in our life. We're, uh, it, we are now indwelt with the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. We have all that. That doesn't vary for the New Testament church. But what we need is spiritual empowerment, enablement, to be there when we need it. Some texts call it the filling of the Spirit. And um, so what does Jesus mean here when he says, if you then being evil how to know to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, there's a, if you use a Schofield Bible, there's a Schofield note on this. And I'd like you to, I'm just going to read that note to all of you because not all of you have a Schofield Bible. And this note is concerned that people confuse the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the privileges we have. And uh, it reads like this. To the Jew, this promise was undoubtedly new and staggering, or it indicates that in advance of the fulfillment of Joel 2, 28 and 29, all might receive the Holy Spirit. It should be kept in mind, however, that in accordance with the promise as recorded in Luke 24, 49, John 7, 38, 39, 14 to 16, 17, Acts 1, 4, and 5, and with the historic facts stated in Romans 8, 9, 15, 8, 9, 8, 15 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, Galatians 4, 6, 1 John 2, 20, and 27, for the Christian to go back to Luke eleven thirteen is to forget Pentecost, and to ignore the truth that now every believer has the indwelling spirit. That's the note. So that note is very concerned that we forget Pentecost. And that we already have the indwelling of the spirit. And we already have the baptism of the spirit. And we already have the sealing of the spirit. And all the rest. Well, it's true. We have ministries of the spirit Old Testament people did not have. No Old Testament person, no matter how eminent, was ever baptized by the Holy Spirit. That didn't come till Pentecost. And that's a precious thing. And that's a wonderful thing. And nothing I say today is going to try to ignore that wonderful enhancement and privilege that we have. Um, and if I was teaching a whole series on the Holy Spirit, I would be talking about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, this is what they had and didn't have, and the Holy Spirit now, and what we have and we didn't have, and the difference. I'd be talking about that. There is a difference. I'm not doing that here today. I'm not interested in that today. And nothing I say here this morning is going to try to forget the Pentecost happened, because it is a massive blessing. Peter calls it the beginning it was the beginning of the church. And, it, and it, it's a wonderful thing. What I'm interested in today is a little different. And uh, I know the Gospels, you're still in Old Covenant ground. You're not, the church age hadn't started yet. There is a difference. I know that. 
Jesus was born under the law to redeem those that were under the law, and his whole earthly ministry was under the old covenant, and the new covenant begins with his death. Having said all of that, it's not what I'm interested in any of the things this morning. The Lord Jesus had his ministry as a sinless individual. Our Lord Jesus was the only sinless human that's ever lived since Adam and Eve fell. And yet he did his whole ministry under the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism in a special way. And that was an anointing for service and for ministry. And the Lord Jesus, I personally believe, he did his miracles, not in his own power, not that he couldn't do that, but his miracles were done in the power of the Holy Spirit, all of them. There's a little debate about that, but I believe he did his miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying all this for a reason, because when we get into chapter 11, verse 14 and following, the Lord is not any longer talking to his disciples. He's dealing with crowds. There is a difference between crowds and the church. There is a difference between crowds and disciples, right? There's a lot of people that say they have big churches and all they've got is big crowds. And their very methods produce big crowds. And I repudiate the methods. I'm not interested in drawing a crowd. Not at all. But we should have a ministry to the crowd. I am interested in reaching the crowd. But there's a difference between the church and the crowd. There's a difference between disciples and the crowd. And everything that we've been talking about in chapter 11 so far... It's been our Lord's ministry to his disciples. Even clear back to chapter 9, we've been dealing with that. His ministry to his disciples, his own. But now, there's going to be a big shift in Luke, and he's going to hit the crowds. By the way, we shouldn't just hang out with Christians all the time. Our Lord wants us to be with him. Our Lord wants us to be with each other. But our Lord wants us to get out of the Christian bubble and be with the crowds. Minister to the lost. It's important and we all have to remember that. And Jesus is doing that here. He's doing that here. He's confronted with demon possession. That's the first thing in verse 14. But he's, conf he's, con he's confronted with not just demon possession. Demon possession is bad. When demons possess people, uh, that person's personality is overridden. The demon completely controls them. They are not in control of their own faculties. When demons are speaking for a person, not the person themselves. They're using the person's voice box, but the demon is speaking. When the Holy Spirit controls something to write scripture, he utilizes people's personality. He doesn't override it. But when demons 
possess someone, they override that person's personality. I'm not going to document that. I could if I wanted to. If you're going to deal with people, you got to deal with demons. And not all the people you deal with are going to be demon-possessed. Not all unsaved people are demon-possessed. But all unsaved people are demon-controlled. Because they're Satan-controlled. This is very important. We, If we try to do battle in our own flesh, how far do you think we're going to get? About as far as King Saul did when the Lord left him. I had scriptures for that, but I'm not going to get to it today. I can't read them all. About as far as Samson got when he shook himself after Delilah's haircut. And said, I'm going to go like I did before. But it wasn't like before. The Lord had left him. And the man that could kill a thousand Philistines with a, with a, a, a bone was just like any other man. A man that could kill a lion with his bare hands was just like another man. He lost his power to do what God wanted him to do. The Lord Jesus was never in those conditions, was he? No. He received the Holy Spirit for ministry at his baptism. Go back to Luke chapter 3. Go back to Luke chapter 3. Verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What does Christ mean? It means the anointed one. Here he's anointed with the Holy Spirit to do messianic ministry. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus being full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what did that result in? He bound the strong man, who is Satan. But we're going to meet in this chapter in chapter 11. He defeated him by not being victoriously tempted by him. So he had power over Satan. God's people who resist sin have power over Satan who's promoting sin. Now I know the real defeat of Satan was at the cross. We know that when the prince of this world is judged. But Jesus had to be victorious in his own life under temptation to be victorious in his ministry. With unsaved people. And Peter says the Lord anointed Jesus. Who went about doing good. Acts 10.38. And John says the Holy Spirit wasn't given him in measure. John 3.34. And even at the cross. It was through the Holy eternal spirit. He offered himself. Up on the cross. So his whole ministry was done. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Now David in Psalm 51.11 was deeply concerned after his sin with Bathsheba that the Lord would deal with him as he dealt with Saul. And he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's, he's not talking about indwelling. He's not talking, I believe he was indwelt or with-dwelling. Maybe some say they were didn't have indwelling in the Old Testament. They had with-dwelling. He's not talking about losing his salvation. 
but he was talking about losing his ability to minister supernaturally for God as king. Psalm 51, 11, he's deeply concerned because he knew he deserved it. He knew he deserved it. And he prayed that God would not do it because he had a good example of a, somebody trying to do ministry who didn't have God's spirit helping him. What a sad sack Saul was at the end of his life. So David says, Cast not away from me from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my, thy salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. He said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Read the text very closely. And uphold me with a willing spirit. And I'll teach transgressors your ways and so forth. So, um, the ability to rule, the ability to fight successfully, the ability to be a theocratic king is what David was concerned about. Jesus never had such a problem. So there's a deep connection here in Luke eleven thirteen, where Jesus is talking about Christians uh, receiving Holy Spirit enablement to do ministry, and then he's doing ministry with satanic powers successfully and it's very important to kind of just see that connection I believe now of all the things we need in a fallen world of all the things we can ask for in the fallen world of all the good things God can give us we certainly need Holy Spirit empowerment turn with me to Acts Four. Acts four. Twenty-three. Now this is a post-Pentecost church, and they pray, and they pray. They're under persecution. They're under deep persecution. Their government wanted to squash them like a bug. Their government had already imprisoned some of the church leadership, all of the apostles. And the fight was off. So look with me in Acts 4, 23. And being let go, that's the apostles, they went to their own company and reported all the things the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, let's say, break out the protest signs. No. Nothing like that. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. How did they respond to this? Prayer. These were people... Who were baptized into the body of Christ. This is a post Pentecostal church. Uh, and it says, When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, notice all the scripture. You are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why did the nations rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Nothing wrong with quoting God's words back to him. If you want God to hear you, you got to remember you got to hear Him first. 
And it says in verse 27, Of a truth against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you've anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the nations and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your counsel determined to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to thy servants that with all boldness they may what? Speak your word. It's not, Lord, we're going to give a report on how bad Pilate and Herod are and how crooked they are and how corrupt they are. We're going to spread it all over the whole city. Was Pilate corrupt? Yes. Was Herod corrupt? Absolutely. Was the Jewish leadership corrupt? Definitely corrupt. You're not going to get much more corruption. Were they controlled by Satan? Yes. Were they satanic to the core? Yes. But the church is not concerned about reporting how bad they are. That's not their prayer. It says now, Lord, verse 29, Behold their threatenings, and grant to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Lord, we've got to be witnessing better and stronger and harder than ever. Bolder than ever. We need boldness. Not to stand up and tell how bad the, all these people are, but how you've given us the gospel message. By stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a post-Pentecostal church. And that really puts in, and then it talks about the multitude of those who believe are one heart and one soul and all that. It was a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit was doing things in them and through them. And that puts the sin of Ananias and Sapphira into light who lied against the Holy Spirit. What a horrible thing. The weapons of our warfare are not what people think weapons are, right? But they're mighty to God, pulling down a stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10. So spiritual ministry must be done with spiritual weapons. And intercessory prayer is not just for others, but for ourselves as well. They weren't just praying, Lord, make all these wicked people soft to the gospel. They were praying for themselves to be bold with the gospel. And I do believe it's useless to talk to men about God if you don't talk to God about men. But we also need to be talking to God about ourselves, not just the lost. Lord, I need the Holy Spirit today as much as ever. Now, it's not that praying for the Holy Spirit is the key to always being filled with the Spirit. God is sovereign when people are filled with the Spirit. Sometimes they're just filled, even if they didn't pray for it. In Old Testament and New Testament. The need's there, God does it. But important in Luke 11, I believe, is this picture of asking for it and getting it. You know, 
when you get it and you got it, you can be effective. Sometimes you get it and you haven't been smart enough to pray for it, but God just gives it in His sovereignty. Other times you get it because you prayed for it. Lord, I don't have to talk to these people. They're too hard for me. They're too deep in satanic deception. Help me this morning. Help me. The secret of Charles Haddon Spurgeon was not just his own deep study, but he, as you know, when he was preaching in church, there were 500 people every Sunday praying in the basement for that sermon. No wonder he became the prince of, prince of preachers. And so it's very important for us to grasp with all of this. Remember in Luke 24, at the end of Luke, he says, you, you got the resurrection message now. You know the whole deal. You know about my death and what it was for. You know about my resurrection. But wait. Wait. Don't do anything. Don't tell anybody yet. Tell nobody yet. You just wait. Wait for what? The Holy Spirit. That's how the Gospel of Luke ends. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And Acts 1 picks it right up. They keep they wait for the Holy Spirit. 120 people waiting for the Holy Spirit. And only after the Holy Spirit came and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and the church age starts and they have that empowerment does Peter stand up and begin to preach. Now let's come back to our context in Luke. The Lord Jesus certainly had the Holy Spirit in all his ministry and that's why he cast out demons. Effectively. Effectively. And we need the same. Now we come back to the Lord Jesus. This sets up an amazing situation between the Lord Jesus and the crowds. Notice verse 14. But remember what he said in 13. And he, that's Jesus, was casting out a demon and it was dumb. The demon wasn't dumb, but the man was dumb. It doesn't mean his IQ was low. It means he couldn't speak. The demon was causing a physical problem. It came to pass when the demon was gone out, the dumb spoke, and the people marveled. So here's a man who couldn't say a word, and we know there are people like that, but it's just a physiological thing. But in this man's case, it was not just physiological, it was spiritual. Because the demon actually, for his own enjoyment, took this man's speech away from him and kept it away from him. This was demon possession. But demons don't just possess people. That's not all their work. They control people who are not possessed, but are unregenerate. And what was the worst case, if you just think about it? The man who couldn't speak, or the spiritual leadership that were speaking and lying about Jesus. The demons were enabling them to lie, influencing them to lie. Satan's a liar from the beginning. All lies come from him. Whether they're told by preachers or politicians, and boy, we got a lot of those, a lot of lies coming out, or by just individuals. And some said, he cast out demons through the Beelzebub, the chief of demons. What evidence did they have for that? None. It was an evil imagination. It was an attempt to control the narrative. 
We got people spinning out lives you just can't believe in the United States politically today. Politicians accusing other politicians of colluding with Russia while they're colluding with Russia. I didn't mention Democrat or Republican. I just said politician. And these people were accusing Jesus of being leagued with the devil. Guess who was in league with the devil? Isn't it interesting? And the people marveled about what he did. But of the people that marveled, the people that marveled were could be divided into two groups. Group number one. Some of them said, he casts out demons through Beelzebub, the chief of the demons. That was some of those that marveled. What the, but there was another group within the group. Others. Others who also marveled at what he did were testing him, sought out him a sign from heaven. Now, they weren't completely like the other group, but they were still being controlled by Satan. Some were more openly malicious, others just saying, we need a little more information. And Jesus answers both groups. He answers the first group, clear down to verse 28, the one that said he was casting demons out with the prince of demons. He asked the second group in verse 29 uh, and following, who wanted another sign. Very interesting, he answered both groups, uh, both, both groups in the crowd. So it's this miracle of Lord Jesus that sets up this long session, the Lord's ministry to the crowds. And if you take your Bible and you watch the word crowd, you're going to see it all the way through these chapters, clear over into chapter 15. Over and over and over again. Um, over and over and over again. People are gathering. Jesus is ministering. 12 12-1, 12-13, 12-41, 54-13-14, 13-17, 14-25, and 15-1. Sometimes the word crowd, sometimes some other word is used. But it's just people are out there, not disciples. Now back to our section. In our section, we have his ministry to the crowds. It's starting right here. And then that, those crowds can be divided up. That ministry to the crowd can be divided up with different subsets. First, there's a ministry to the controlled. That's that demon-possessed person that can't speak. The demon's dominating his personality. Second, there's a ministry to the confused. And that is this lady in 27 and 28. Excuse me, the controlled is not just the demon-possessed man. I, I, I got ahead of myself. He is totally dominated. But it, the ministry to the controlled is also the ministry to those that are deceived. That's the people that are criticizing Jesus. And saying he's doing it by demons. So there's a ministry to the controlled. Then there's a ministry to the confused. That's this lady that burps out. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And then there's the ministry to the clergy. And that's where the Pharisees and uh, lawyers come in at the end of the chapter. So the Lord's doing all that. 
and he's taking on all comers. He's not doing his ministry by the power of the devil. He's doing his ministry by the power of the Spirit. And that ministry can confront people who are controlled, whether they're demon-possessed by demons or whether they're just demon-dominated by satanic lies. You can't out-argue somebody into salvation. I'm not saying we shouldn't use arguments. I'm not saying we shouldn't know our Bible. But listen, God's got to deliver them. We can't. I believe in being theologically acute. I believe in being theologically informed. But if the Holy Spirit's not working, you'll win the argument and lose the person. So how important is the Holy Spirit in doing spiritual work? Very important. And what we see here is the Christ, the one who is anointed, the one who has the Holy Spirit above measure. And he is at it and he's taking on everybody and putting them on their back foot real easy. It's a beautiful thing. So how important it is to pray for spiritual power from the Spirit of God. Linda's reading to me a book, A Call to Personal Holiness, Fire in Your Heart, by a fellow by the name of Sammy Tippett. And um, forward was John MacArthur. I don't know anything about this guy. It's a book dealing with some of these things. But he wrote something I liked. Sammy Tippett wrote, The greatest ministry that any Christian can have is the ministry of intercession. It is this ministry that can turn the heart of a nation. You say, I I can't witness. Can you pray? It's this ministry that can turn the nation. The great soldiers of Christ throughout the ages have won great battles on their knees. It is on our knees that we see his hand stretch out for a lost and dying world. It's on our knees that we see the power available to us by a resurrected Christ. And he quotes Samuel Chadwick. There's no power like that of prevailing prayer. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. And Tippett went on to say, study the history of the church and you'll discover that awakening comes when God's people pray. The Spirit of God is searching the entire nation to find the man or woman who will seek His face above all else. His nationality or race matters not. His abilities or social and economic standing are of no importance. It matters only that He's seeking God's glory. This is pretty basic stuff, isn't it? Christianity 101 But don't we need to be reminded of that? Jesus spent all night in prayer so many times. No wonder he was so powerful in ministry. Um, At the beginning of this book, there's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Let God send the fire of His Spirit here and the minister will be more and more lost in His Master. You will come to think less of the speaker and more of the truth spoken. Let God but send down the fire and the biggest sinners in the neighborhood will be converted. Those who live in dens of infamy will be changed. 
The drunkard will forsake his cups. The swearer will repent of his blasphemy. The debauch will leave his lust. Spurgeon said, Dry bones be raised and cloth afresh and hearts of stone be turned to flesh. May God help that to be in our day. Now let's go back and just touch, and we'll come back on this and clean this message up a little bit when we have time to to preach it, but not so extemporaneously. Come back here with me in just a moment. Verse 17. And he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation. A house divided against a house falls. If Satan be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons through the Beelzebub. If I by Beelzebub cast out your demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they'll be your judges. I'm not going to deal with all this. I just want this one point in verse 20. But if I with the finger of God cast out demons, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. What's that finger of God reference? Do you remember in the book of Exodus? When the magicians of Egypt are duplicating Moses' miracles. And when Moses calls the gnats and the, and the magicians can't duplicate it. I'm talking Exodus chapter 8. They say to Pharaoh, these demon possessed people. These demon controlled people. This is the finger of God. We've been able to fight it or avoid the implications before, but we can't now. This is the finger of God. Now, when Matthew records this, he says, as Jesus saying, if I by the Holy Spirit cast out demons, then the kingdom of God's come upon you. Both are true. The Holy Spirit work is the finger of God's work. The finger of God is when the finger of God is so clear. It's like God putting His finger out. Like He did with Belshazzar when He wrote on the wall. And the most debased people are forced to acknowledge His presence. May God fill us with His Spirit So the people aren't looking at us, but they're looking at the God who sent us. What does Ephesians 5.18 say? It says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've always said in counseling, if you just get sin out of your life, that's never enough. And Jesus is going to say the same thing in verse 24 and 26. When the unclean spirit's gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest, finds none. He says, I'll return to my house from which I came out. And when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. Then he goes and takes to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of a man is worse than the first. Getting sin out or getting demons out is never enough. Never enough. Nobody can live on negatives. I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. That's my testimony. I used to do this, but I don't do it anymore. That's not enough. That's not even close. 
You just emptied the house. And Jesus is talking about a situation where a demon comes back because the house is empty. You get sin out of your life, good, welcome, that's great. You don't do this or that anymore. You got to get Jesus in your life. You got to get the Holy Spirit in your life. And one individual said, he used to preach on this all the time, his name was Adam Welch. And Sammy, Sammy Tippett quoted this guy, I think it was him. This man said, you've got to fill a man with something. <laughs> you've got to fill a man with something. So if you're dealing with a drug addict, you're trying to help him get off drugs, it's not enough to get him off of drugs. It's not enough to get him off of alcohol. It's not a, 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 all the other perversions are in. You've got to get Christ in their life. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And this so stunned this woman, she just, she said, blessed is the womb that bore you. She was so excited about what Jesus said, she wasn't even thinking about what she was saying. So Jesus had to correct her, yea, blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it and get her back to basics. Which are what? Holy Spirit, Word of God. Pretty basics. I've got to know the Word. I've got to have the Word in my life. I've got to be, keep, be seeking to be obedient to God's Word. And I've got to be up, enabled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes all of this, the only thing that can make this happen is I've got to let God show me my true self. And that's painful. None of these people like what Jesus said. He didn't make any friends here. This is where the opposition starts to the cross. They're planning to kill him after this. They were wanting to kill him before, and now they really want to kill him. They didn't want to hear the truth. And that's just the way everybody is today. The world has not changed. People don't want to hear the gospel. They'll hear anything and everything except that. Anything and everything except that. Harry Ironside, teaching on this section, quotes a story from Robert Moffat, a great African missionary. I'm going to read this in close. It was quite interesting. He said, you remember the story of the African chieftainess. That's not a man. A man is a chieftain. This is a chieftainess. You remember the story of, an, of the African chieftainess in the days of Robert Moffat. He had... Notice one day that he was to be visited by the chieftainess, and so he dressed up in his best clothes in order to meet her. She came attired in barbaric splendor, and as she talked with him, she happened to see a mirror hanging from the tree outside his cabin door. She never seen anything like it before. She went up to examine it, and when she what she saw startled her, she beheld the ugliest face she'd ever seen. She looked on the other side and saw nothing. Then she asked for the explanation. Whose was that awful face she saw in the glass? He kind of put Moffat on the spot, didn't he? He explained it was her own face. When at last she was convinced it was true, she demanded the mirror. He did not want to part with it. He needed it to shave, to trim, and comb his hair. But she was insistent and offered to buy it from him giving in trade elephant tusks. Now, all this was before 
or something else of value. He thought it would be better to be a good, on good terms with her, so he sold it to her. And when she received it, she took one last look of herself in it and dashed it to pieces on the ground, <laughs> declaring it would never tell on her again. That sounds like mirror, mirror on the wall thing. And, you know, she didn't like it. It's never going to tell on her again. And Ironside said, that suggests why these hypocrites were always finding fault with our Lord. We read in John's Gospel, the true light gives light to or literally casts light on every man that comes into the world. Their wickedness was manifested in the light of his purity and holiness so they charged him with being in league with the prince of demons. They tempted him by asking a sign from heaven. And it goes on and on. You know what? Same thing's going on today. I, I'm actually glad that things are the way they are. I think it's coming out the ludicrousness of positions that people have taken philosophically, politically, spiritually are really coming out. And it's very similar to Isaiah's day. Woe to them who call evil good. And good evil. Isn't that exactly what they were doing to Jesus? Isn't that exactly what people are doing today? Who are the enemies today of modern culture in the West? Christians. Christians. Or Christianity. Any other religion is okay. Not Christianity. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then woe to them who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to them who are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mix strong drink. Who justify the wicked for a reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. All of that follows from this previous verse, right? You don't know right from wrong. All this other stuff, you, you're, you're distorted. Satan, the whole world lies in the wicked one. He's a liar. Men walk according to the prince and power of the air. They're under control of satanic lies. The lie sounds better than, than the truth. And that's the folks we have to minister to. So come back to my text. Yes, we know we have the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We're born again by the Spirit. We've been baptized by the Spirit. We're sealed with the Spirit. And often we're filled by the Spirit, even if we don't ask. But wouldn't it be good for us to say, Lord, we need the Spirit of God in our life in our ministry especially when we're talking to the lost don't let me do it in my own power even if those lost our own children or even if those lost our own neighbors our own friends or people we've talked to before maybe talk to them again Jesus Jesus didn't just expose lies he confronted the liars. And boy did he confront them. When you see what he said to the Pharisees and then the 
lawyer said, well, when you're saying that to them, you're, you're reproaching us also. And then he opened up on them. And it cost him. But he did it. And it cost us when we share the gospel and expose the lies to people they're resting in and trusting in. But God helped me to do it. God helped you to do it. Graciously, with sensitivity, not with any kind of pride that would be very wrong, but lovingly, wisely, letting the Spirit of God guide us on how much we say or don't say, what we do and what we don't do. Father, put your finger on this lost world through your church. May people we live before, may people we speak to, have to admit this is the finger of God and you can't deny it. That they see you and not just us. If there's anyone listening to my voice today that's not yet saved, whether it's on YouTube or sitting here, may your finger reach out to them through your word and by your spirit today. That they'd admit their sin, not justify it. To stop arguing and fighting and debating and criticizing and start repenting and believing. In Jesus' name, amen.